Welcome to PNC's Speak the Language of Executives. I'm Carol Daniel here with Michael Scully, Regional President of PNC. Each podcast features local and regional C-level executives talking about relevant and timely business topics. This knowledge-sharing platform provides insights on forward-thinking business approaches that disrupt the status quo and encourage business leaders to think differently. Today, Mike and I welcome Dr. Mitch Milstein, President of Supply Velocity and Professor of Supply Chain management at UMSL. Mitch, welcome to PNCC Speak. You know, when I talk to our clients uh, day after day, week after week, supply chain disruptions and maybe labor shortages are on the top of their mind. Walk us through supply chain disruptions and disruption solutions. Let's talk, let's talk first about the disruptions. You know, we've, uh, if, if you follow boxing, the best way to box is to do combos. And we've been hit by a three-punch combo. When you think about it, first we had the pandemic and it and it hit and it hit hard and we were all scared and everybody just came to a screeching halt. Stop everything, stop sending me supplies, stop sending me people go home and we thought that demand would disappear. Well, in fact it didn't disappear. It actually got stronger in many cases. So all of a sudden we like, no no, ship everything you can, bring them back. Everybody show up to work. We got to work overtime. And that created a wave of disruption, and that was the first wave. The first punch we got was that wave of disruption because we went to zero, and all of a sudden we got to go back up to 120%, really. Uh, it was that kind of change that happened. And you don't just paper over that disruption that way. That wave continued, and it flowed through our economy for about six to nine months. It created the havoc with Christmas shopping, and that was disruption number one, Mike. And disruption number two was all of a sudden people really started to get sick or their kids got sick or their kids' teachers got sick and they couldn't go to work because they had to stay home from work either for themselves, they were very sick, their kids couldn't go to school, they were quarantined, and then we had disruption number two and that was a labor disruption from either people leaving for good because they thought things were more important because of all the kind of you know absolutely death that was happening around us or they just had to stay home from work temporarily, but that temporary was like three or four weeks, and we got hit by the next disruption. And here we are. We thought we were recovering. Vaccines are working, or natural immunity was taking hold. We're feeling better. And the third punch of that combination came with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and now that's affecting global supply chain in a way that we just could not have anticipated. So that's disruption. Mitch, you talk about ways we could have expected. To what extent can artificial intelligence factor into global supply strategies? Well, artificial intelligence, and I, I want to pe- make sure people understand here, artificial intelligence doesn't start off artificial at all. It is a trained computer algorithm trained by people. So you recognize things or you recognize things that have ha- happened in the past, and then the algorithm or the model learns, and it learns by people feeding it data. And so to some extent, we're going to learn right now leading indicators and predictions of supply chain disruption. It's going to help in the future. It's not necessarily going to help us right now because this never happened to us before. We haven't had a major raw materials supplier to the entire world being Russia invade a neighboring country that is one of the largest wheat and grain producers in the world. We haven't seen that. We haven't seen a global pandemic since 1918. And there's really nothing comparable because, of course, we didn't have computers to gather data at that time. So 
that artificial intelligence, the ability for a model to predict what's going to happen will help us in the future. It can't help us right now. Future pandemics, future invasions, uh, we're going to get a lot smarter about predicting it or forecasting it and therefore trying to do the right thing ahead of time. Right now, you, you see what we get, Mike. Uh, we've got problems. But how do you predict uh, an invasion, for example? Well, I mean, I think there were a lot of people that uh, wanted to brush off what uh, Russia was saying about invading uh, Ukraine. I was one of them. It's a bluff. It's not really going to happen. Why would they do that? Why would they inflict that damage to their economy? It just makes no sense. By the way, Russia is a huge country. Again, an unbelievable natural resource uh, supplier to the entire world. You know, we're here talking about supply chain. Um, And... Why do they need a little bit more of Ukraine? It just didn't make sense. They did it. And there were people that said, you know, if you look at the kind of things that Russia's doing, flying, you know, uh, trucking in blood, it was the kind of things that said we're serious about an invasion. You feed that into a model and you start to have the ability to predict uh, they really will invade, even though everybody thinks it's uh, an absolute insane self-inflicted wound uh, that Russia caused itself. Wow, that that's amazing. What I think uh, through the supply chain, I uh, was participating in a business roundtable about a month ago, and, and the topic of inflation came up. And we did a straw poll, and the, the lowest was an estimate for the year of 4%. The high was, you know, a shocking 20%. Talk about that for a minute, if you would, inflation and how the supply chain interacts with inflation. I mean, they are directly linked um, so you you think about what's happening. You are a company and you're distributing or manufacturing and you've got your suppliers and some of them come to you and say, hey, I have to do a price increase uh, for some I- reason to you. You could fight it and they may now sell it to your competitor or you can accept it because you want to be a reliable supplier. Maybe because you're actually doing supply chain management and you've got a great relationship with this company and they show you why they have to do the price increase. So you accept that price increase, and now you've got a decision. Do you pass that along? Do you pass some of it along? Do you pass enough of it along that you can pay your people a a decent wage and get them to show up to work? Uh, Do you pass it along and actually say, I'm going to be profitable on this because I want to be the most reliable supplier in my industry, by the way, versus low cost? And if your strategy is to be the most reliable supplier, a value-added, you-could-count-on-me company to your customers – then you pass along that price increase. And in fact, those customers might, this goes against normal logic, might look at you and say, wow, they're really raising their prices a lot. That to me means they're reliable. Like I can actually count on them. In some ways, you want your supplier to be profitable as a supply chain management company because you want reliable supply. And so whereas before, for the last 30 years, supply chain management has worked Beautifully, inflation's low. You fight every price increase, um, even if you have a collaborative relationship with your supplier. Now you might actually say that's an indication of reliable supply. I'm going to accept that price increase and continue to pass it along. We're seeing this happen at so many echelons or stages in the supply chain, and it continues to build and build. And I've given up on trying to uh, be an economist and predict because. You think of that at every stage at the supply chain, how many companies are doing that, and not for the wrong reasons, not just to make money, not to rip off their customers or be a profiteer, but actually to be a reliable supplier and pay a wage that gets people to show up to their factory or warehouse. 
So, Mitch, I think we've all heard some experts say that supply chain issues have been brewing for a long time, even well before COVID. I wonder if we've reached the end of the global supply chain strategies. Oh, boy, I uh, can't agree with you more. Uh, you know, if, I, I'm going to go back to 1990, and I'm, I'm not a historian, but that was the start of a beautiful period in our world. It began global supply chain management. We can look back now and realize that, among many other things, technology uh, changed the world and made us more productive and gave us just so much more, but so did supply chain management. Russia opened up, again, an unbelievable landmass with natural resources um, that were suddenly available to us, whereas before, in limited quantities or very expensive. And then China became a factory to the world. You may not like that, by the way, the fact that it was like that. But And, and by the way, to be honest, what ended up doing is we outsourced a lot of our pollution to China because they manufacture things that, quite honestly, we just don't want that type of pollution to, to be in our country. And that worked great. They opened up. The whole world opened up. Goods flowed. They, they were produced where they should be produced. In the U.S., we excelled at supply chain management, really. Look at Amazon. We excelled at technology and software, hardware-software integration. Other countries, Japan and Germany, were fantastic at precision, large-scale manufacturing vehicles and machine tools. It was an unbelievable time, and now it's changing. And by the way, you're right. It, it changed before the pandemic. Uh, again, I, I don't necessarily agree or disagree, and this is not a political show, but it started with the Chinese-American trade tariff, not war, um, but the raising of, of taxes or tariffs between our two countries. That was the beginning because that said, China's now going, okay, we want to be regional in Asia and, and try to expand beyond the U.S. And the U.S. said, well, China's no longer a reliable uh, supply source, so we're going to have to, we're going to, have to look differently, maybe at North America, uh, maybe at South America more dependent on Europe. Uh, all those things are now part of what we have to do. Um, and so we're breaking down, you've heard it before, I'm not the first one to say it, into regional uh, trade blocks where we can still get those materials, we can still do business with China, more expensive, more costly to ship, but we can still buy materials from Russia, more expensive, hard to change rubles into dollars now. Everything's gonna get more expensive, back to your previous comment about inflation, that's another reason why. Everything's getting more expensive to do business around the world. By the way, less expensive to do business with your regional trade block, but that wasn't necessarily the best place to buy those goods. Mitch, let's talk for a minute about dynamic pricing and forecasting in a constantly changing landscape. Well, we'll look at those uh, two, two, two terms differently. So forecasting. You know, I, I talk to my clients, I teach my students uh, about forecasting, and, and I never use the words forecast accuracy. Uh, everybody wants to talk about having a more accurate forecast. You know, can we predict inflation? When you're a real forecast modeler, and I do some of this work, um, you're really trying to minimize forecast error. I know I'm getting a little technical here, but what you're trying to do is come up with the least bad forecast because there's no such thing as an accurate forecast. There's just a minimizing forecast error. Well, that was hard to do before the pandemic. It was hard to do when tariffs were growing um, it was just hard to do that prediction. It's always hard to forecast. Ask any salesperson if they know what their customer is going to buy next month. Now we have these events that really, again, at the moment, were just unpredictable. Call them black swan. Call them whatever you want. Um, how do you actually predict that? 
And I can't tell you what's going to be next. I thought we were out of it. Remember last summer, people got vaccinated, natural immunity, Delta was there. But if you're vaccinated, at least it didn't affect you. And we're like, we're good. Vacation started back up and all of a sudden Omicron came and hit us. We kind of get over that, really just got over that. Russia invades Ukraine. Who knows what's going to be next? This forecasting stuff is really hard to do. Now, on the pricing end, it builds right in. So you don't know what's going to happen. And you might want to be aggressive on pricing. You may, and by the way, not not to rip off your customers, but just because it is the way to ensure reliable supply of materials and reliable supply of labor. So you may want to test it. You might want to do dynamic forecasting. How much can I raise it in order that I can be a profitable company that can take care of my customers and be a good uh, customer of my suppliers? Uh, so how can I do that? And maybe you went too high. You're going to have to learn to back off. I would, I would uh, say that either way, you need to have a strategy of how you want to uh, work that way. So dynamic pricing these days means how high do you want to go uh, in a test uh, again, not to rip anything off, not to make extra profit, but to be a reliable part of your supply chain. Uh, I think that's going to have to get done. Um, and that to me is dynamic pricing. Now, one last thing, one day inflation will end, and then you might find that your prices are actually too high, that you have too much inventory. These things could happen to you. Uh, we're going to call it the big hangover. So you've talked about how difficult it is to forecast. If we were to ask you to forecast, for example, how does this resolve itself? How does this supply chain crisis resolve itself, this this hopefully temporary blip in inflation? You see that in 22, 23, or out on the horizon? Well, now you ask me how it's going to write itself, not when. So I'm going to go to the how question and maybe see if I can duck the, the when part. How does it resolve itself? I will tell you supply chain professionals, supply chain consultants, supply chain professors, our graduates at UMSL, we're all working on it. I, I want to assure everybody we're not just going, uh, you know, what do we do now? There's no supply chain professional that's doing that. We're working on dealing with the current supply chain that we have with hard to get metals and materials out of Russia, uh, hard to, you know, reduction in agricultural products in Ukraine. We are working on alternate supplies, alternate places, increasing production, uh, building infrastructure uh, that doesn't currently have to exist. It is happening right now. And now I'll get to the how long. It takes a long time to build all that out. Um, I think you've heard a lot of people talked about semiconductors last year. Four years to build a semiconductor fab. These days, about $10 billion. It's hard to do that, and it's slow. So will it work out? It's going to work out because supply chain professionals are working us. We're the ones that created this amazing environment over the last 30 years, not just us. The technologists, the government, there's lots of people involved, finance people, banks uh, were part of it. Um, but we're working on it right now on redesigning the supply chain for the new world that we're currently in and whatever else might come. Thanks for joining us today on PNC C-Speak. For this and other episodes, go to kmox.com slash PNC C-Speak.